Hey now, it's Rob here from Rob School of Music, and today on the podcast, I'm talking with Pete Thorne. See you on the other side. Hey now, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another podcast. I'm sorry it's been a while since we uploaded anything. It's been absolutely crazy here at the school. We've been still doing our weekly Instagram Live interviews, and we've racked up a ton of great material that I just need to upload into these podcasts. But with COVID and everything you know, being shut down and all of our lessons online, it's just been taking up a ton of time and all the lesson prep and stuff. I also put out a couple of songs with my band Heated Exchange. Um, in the break here, we had one called Outbreak. And then another one called How Many Times. You can check those out on Spotify, Apple Music and stuff. Um, also, it was actually really incredible. PRS Guitars, whom I've been affiliated with since the late 2000s, did an incredible interview with me regarding the school and heated exchange. You can check that out at prsguitars.com. But back to the school, you know, we've been doing these online lessons since mid-March. We've done about 2,500 of them since then, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, everyone we get better, multiple camera angles, lighting. We're taking on students literally from around the world at this point. We had an incredible music wizardry camp where we had a music teacher from Sweden to teach about audio production, um, you know, a guitar class come out of Arizona, an audio production and songwriting drum recording class, I should say, coming out of Florida. It's actually been really, really cool. But back to the podcast. Today I'm talking with Pete Thorne. Pete is someone I really look up to when I put together my list of people I wanted to you know, be able to communicate with in this forum or format, I should say. Uh, he was one of the at the very top just because his YouTube presence is incredible. Um, his interview was the first that I've been doing now that no longer run Instagram Live. Now we're doing the interviews. They're airing on uh, Facebook.com slash Rob School of Music, YouTube.com slash Rob School of Music, as well as Twitch. It just gives us better audio quality, better video quality, and the ability to live stream while we're recording to multiple places at once. So hopefully you guys will notice that the audio has improved considerably and the conversation runs a bit smoother because we're not dealing with Instagram hiccups and audio uh, bit crushing and garbling and stuff. So thanks for checking this out. I was really excited. Pete was incredible. And coming up, we have some great ones coming. We're doing Bumblefoot round two, Mark Letieri round two, Andy Timmons round two, Nick Perry. Um, it's just going to be really great. But it starts here. On the other side of the music, my conversation with Pete Thorne. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> All right. So here I am. It's Rob here from Rob's School of Music talking to the legendary Pete Thorne. Legendary um, nerd. Legend that we're all nerds, man. I mean, I'm surrounded by more guitars and pedals than I can count. So that's a that's a term of endearment, I think. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, we're a music school. We're based out of a town called Suffern in Rockland County, New York. We're like 35, 40 minutes outside of New York City. And uh when the pandemic hit, we moved all of our students online and cool. uh, we, we actually, New York, when uh, everything went crazy and this started to get really, really real, um, the second death in New York state actually occurred in our town prior to New York city getting crazy. Wow. 
So we got we kind of got ahead of it, moving everything virtual. And I think that's been a, a way that we've kind of survived. And we you know use multiple camera angles and there's uh, nine teachers in total. So it's it's been really great. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. So we've been doing things like this just to kind of give our students sort of a lifeline out to the world and some of our musical heroes and just kind of shoot the shit and see how it goes. It's it's all we can do these days is sort of, you know, sit in front of cameras and make videos and stuff. But it's cool. I mean, I, I've been practicing even more. Like yesterday, I sat here and worked on, uh, you know, there's that new feature on Instagram or actually just on an iPhone where you can screen record and it's super easy. And so whenever whenever I see anybody do anything crazy on Instagram now, I'll just like oh screen record yeah. that and then I'll bring the video into my computer and then I can uh, I guess this is stuff we can talk about. Like, how are you practicing and stuff? Yeah. I'll bring the video into the computer and I'll use transcribe to play the audio, slow it down, and then I can learn crazy licks and stuff like that. What people that's, are doing. So that's really smart, actually. I'm gonna yeah, start just, doing it. It's pretty cool. It's like you know, screen record the Instagram video, bring it in. And then you can play the video in QuickTime that you brought in, but then you can also in tra transcribe is is uh, you might know it's a seven mm -hmm. string is the company and it's great you know it's forty nine dollars or something and I use it so much it's like a uh, a, a phrase trainer essentially that you can slow things down and, right and uh, so I use that all the time so I'll bring the audio into there and then I can slow down the crazy licks and watch the video at the same time oh that's what they're doing okay yeah been doing stuff like that you know that I never would. I mean, maybe when I'm on the road, I would do stuff like that or something, you know, with, but, um, other, other, we just had all this time to practice and, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy times, but that's something that we've kind of tried to, and that's been a running theme with all the different musicians I've gotten to speak with. It's like, this is a gift of time that hopefully we'll never get again, but let's use it as best we can to try and just be sure. better, you know? Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? You know, it's like, it's a good time to take up any kind of hobbies, learning something, foreign language, play guitar, whatever it is that you, <laughs> yeah. you know. We had a huge influx of students uh, right when it first got crazy because people were just, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, we've been here for that. So it's been incredible. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the big questions I try and ask uh, just to jump off is, you know, obviously you've played some epic stages along the way. And one of the, um, you know, a lot of our students are students. They're, you know, young, not necessarily in age, but just in experience as a musician. And back when you could do gigs, we would always put them together, package them into different bands and uh, book them performances at there's like a big street festival sort of thing or local restaurants and bars. And uh, anxiety, stage fright is obviously a huge factor. Do you have any tips to overcome that sort of stuff? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the number one thing to always remember is that the crowd is there to see a show and they've got your back like they're there stoked so they're not against you or something you know i mean like unless it's like you know those right. crowds at guitar shows or something where it's like show me impress me no i don't right. know for the most part people are want they won't have a good time and so they've you've, you've kind of got them like out of the gate they just want to have fun so um so know that they're not your enemy or something they're there to to support and, and hopefully have fun um and you know know that also that what comes out of a pa with when especially when a full band is playing is always a little more washy and you know it's unfortunate we live unfortunately and unfortunately but un the unfortunate part is we live in this youtube uh instagram world where people film things and put them up a lot <laughs> right you know which is always a drag because it's it never sounds as good as being there 
and it's always sounds, you know, small and clinical coming out of little phone speakers compared to, but if, if you know, we, you have to take into account that the people that are there at the gig, it just kind of comes out in a, in a, in a wash of sound and coming out of the PA. And it's, it's always kind of amazing. Like to me, I remember seeing a band play in a club once and there was kind of punk rock band. The sound wasn't too great in the club. It was like punk rock, you know? And, right. uh, but they're playing and they're playing and they're playing and, and they get to the end of the song and they stop and it was kind of cool, had attitude and stuff. It was these twin sisters, I remember, that played guitar and bass and they had a, a guy drummer. And I remember listening to them, they were they were kind of fun. The Sisters Grimm, they were called. This is in LA many years ago. If anybody remembers, it's, it was in LA. They were like a punk rock duo. But anyway, they, they were playing this song and then, and it was like, oh, that was cool. And then after the song, the guitar player went to go tune. And I was like, oh my God, the guitar is so out of tune. You know, but in the context of distortion and a punk rock song with loud singing and the drums going and everything, I couldn't really, my, my, it struck me like I didn't really notice that when they were playing, like as much as right when it was, you know, when you heard the guitar out of context. Now, you know, so it's like the totally. stuff that comes out, uh, like things that I've played uh, and then I've heard recordings of later and I've been like, oh God, I hit the bum note or whatever or something. And then you hear a recording of it later and it, it never sounds as like, blatant as it did to you you know like, right so you just kind of got to move on from that and know that it's live and it's a not yet too in there now i've had moments of like i kind of went through like some moments of stage anxiety kind of stuff actually kind of late on like after i'd already had big gigs and stuff and already been doing stuff and had to learn how to deal with that and one th one thing that i found was uh one guy i found really inspiring is Jack White because Jack White does not care. He does yeah. not give a, you know, he just does. He, he, uh, uh, when, when things happen on stage and there's mishaps and things, he turns it around and uses it to his advantage. And I, I, I first started to realize this, um, around the time that the movie, it might get loud came out with uh, Love that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Right. And some of the things he sort of says and, you know, it's, it's a great instructional movie. I mean, it's kind of, he embodies like this uh, confidence in that movie. Uh, and, you know, he'll say things like, I don't know if you remember the moment in the movie where they're kind of doing it like a, it's, it looks like, like like an acoustic tour or something. They're playing for like a bunch of old folks that maybe mm -hmm. it looks like, like a Shriners thing or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're playing and, and they're playing for this audience and, and his voice, he's, you know, there's, there's voiceover as he's, as with the music in the background, you can see them performing, he's talking and it's a lesson in, confidence i mean he's saying you know the people come they want to see a show like so you better give them a show they're there to see a show so like he's like when if i know that the piano that it takes you know if i gotta put the piano here and then it's gonna take me two uh, you know one second or whatever uh to get to the the microphone i'll put the piano you know like to get there in time he'll put the piano another foot away so he has to jump to get to the mic yeah. in time so that it's like he's performing you know and it's exciting so he'll make it kind of hard on himself intentionally so that he's He's got to work up there, which makes, you know, comes off as more like a show. And um, he, he, there's another part in the, in the, uh, in the show where he talks a little bit about Sun House and mm -hmm. how that was his favorite, you know, he's, this is my favorite record and he's holding up a, a, an album that's a Sun House record. And his favorite song on there is just stomping and, and vocals. That's all it is. It's a blues song, but so Sun House is singing and stomping his foot. And he's like, so, there's not even a guitar in this. He's like, this is, that's all there is. Cool. This is, but that's a song. And so there was this moment where the white stripes, you could find it probably on YouTube, but where the white stripes were on the uh, Conan O'Brien show for a week from Monday through Friday. And they performed every night for a week. And on the last night, the Friday, 
I remember seeing this. He he ran over to Conan's desk during the guitar solo and took his guitar off and laid it flat down and then played like a ripping kind of slide solo in front of his face, you know, super showy, like awesome. Once again, in the spirit of he's going for it, he's going to perform, which, you know, I love that. And then on his way back to get over to the vocal mic, because it's just just Meg and him, it's White Stripes, so it's drums and guitar, that's it. On his way back, he somehow screws up. I don't know if the wireless pulled out of the guitar. He was obviously using a wireless, I guess, because long distance to the... (laughs) So something happened, and the guitar was dead all of a sudden, right? It's TV. It's like, what do you do? Yeah. Throws the guitar down and grabs the vocal microphone and finishes the performance. So cool. Drums and vocals. And it's better. It's like better it happened that way, you know? It's like, wow, that was, because I, I remember that. How many things have you seen on TV, you know? And it's like the performance is just, you know, that one I remember because he was so badass in the way that he he owned it in that moment. Um, So in that moment, he had a split second decision. He figured out what to do, you know? And the, once again, the crowd's got your back. So right. if something bad happens or something, you can either shrink or you can rise to the, you know, the occasion and somehow make, turn it into a positive. Yeah. And, and that, so I find him very inspiring. And when I, if I'm on stage uh, and I maybe get a tinge of that fear or whatever, you know, I, I try and think about him actually. Wow like a spirit animal rock and roll spirit animal you know? jack white's your spirit animal i love that yeah and i'm not even like a huge fan i'm i like i like some of the music and stuff and i like it's more his attitude that i'm a fan of and his spirit you know and it's like i i really appreciate his uh his um his approach when it comes to all that stuff and it's helped me greatly you know so if you can think of anybody like if you're in a moment of stage fright or whatever that it's like what would you know, what would, I don't know, uh, who's, who's anybody you can think of that's a hero right. of yours do in this moment to turn it into a, you know, and he's the one for me. Because he's a great one because he's so raw. He's not like a technically perfect guitar player mm-hmm. or super. It's all attitude. So it's like, which is like a really great place to go to if you're feeling insecure. Is like, remember that it's more about the attitude and your uh, your approach in the moment than it is about playing all the right notes and all that stuff at the core of it. It's a performance and people are there to be entertained. There's a showbiz aspect to it, you know, Definitely. <laughs> to, to go into that when you're nervous and just push, just push through and come out the other side, you know, is, is a great place to go, I think. So that's, I, yeah. I love that, man. That's fantastic because, you know, one of the things that we try and say to them as they're about to do it and something that I personally have done, you know, on the gigs I've done in my life is, it's as though I'm an actor, you know, not that I'm yeah. not really a musician, but I'm playing a role and my role is just right. a psycho that's going to do whatever. And that's, that's a hundred percent. So that's very validating. Thank you. I, I say that too, actually, that's in the, that, uh, being a sideman many times is like being an actor. It's like, you're learning a role and, and you're in a stage play and you're performing a part, you know, and you're going to, you know, embody that lick or whatever, whatever that part is. And you're going to play it to the, you know, there's improvising involved in sideman gigs too, but a lot of it for me, you know, is learning parts and playing the parts of other people and st- that, that things have been recorded on record. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's, and somebody told me that taught me that, that it's sort of like being an actor and you're, you know, no, yeah. I think a lot of truth to that. Hundred percent. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to jump around. Um, I'm going to go to the beginning, and then we'll get back to the sideman stuff. So, what for you was it uh, when you first started playing music? What was there a particular record or a concert you went to? Something where you were like, "That I want to do that." 
Yeah, uh, I started out um, as a massive Who fan. So I guess that really probably tells a lot of the tale when it comes to maybe why I bonded with the why I brought up the Jack White thing right away. Mm -hmm. To me, he's kind of almost like a Townsend kind of character in a way. Um, just aggressive rock and roll guitar. Uh, so it was the Who for me that really was the first stuff I ever learned on guitar, and I loved Pete Townsend. Um, but I was also a huge Beatles fan. I started collecting Beatles records when I was a kid. There was a, a kid that moved in in my neighborhood when I was young that uh, I was about 10, and he would have been 14, I think. And he was kind of a a uh, little bit of a savant kind of almost, like he could play keys and guitar quite well at that age already. And um, he didn't really play that much guitars, mainly keys. But he was also a big collector of records. So he knew a lot about music. And so think about a 14-year-old kid that had a record collection that spanned like, you know, Frank Zappa and The Who and Van Morrison and The Beach Boys and like tons of like really great music. And he really taught me how to listen to music. I think he didn't have a lot of friends when he moved into town and he was kind of a, uh, you know, like a bit of a loner. But I lived down the block and he was nice enough to hang out with me and teach me some stuff about listening to music. And so I became a big Beatles fan through that. And that was first. And then he also showed me my first chords on the guitar. My mom, I was getting interested in music and stuff and starting to collect Beatles records and things. My mom rented me a guitar for a couple of weeks to see if uh, I was interested in, you know, like she didn't want to buy one. Like she was right. like, here, I'll rent one and see if he practices at all. And then if so, then we'll buy him one. Uh, and and uh, sure enough, I, I totally got the bug. And But that's where it all started. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, having the music school here, a lot of parents will come in and the first question they're, you know, I want to get my kid a nice guitar. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. what's a nice guitar? How much you want to spend, you know? And they're like, well, how long will it take before they get good? You know, how many weeks? How long do I have to sign them up for? And I'm like, oh, the rest of their life, maybe. I'm not sure, you know, mm -hmm. how much time you want to put into it. Um, what What's your practice routine like? Are you still, I mean, I'm sure learning stuff every time, but like how much of your day is mm -hmm. devoted to growing you know i feel like most of my like i don't practice enough and i've been sort of committing to like i just mentioned re recording the little videos up instagram yeah. and stuff. And so i'm that's a new thing that i just started doing a few days ago uh i'm really disorganized though when it so when it comes to like learning for tours and things like if i've got an upcoming you know like last january i did a tour with a, a group in the uk called the classic rock show and it's basically like a celebration of great you rock. are not at nam because of that i was bummed <laughs> yeah that's right yeah i had to say yeah well i was in the uk for about eight weeks or seven weeks yeah. or doing this run but so i had to learn like i don't know i guess it was about 25 you know great classic tunes you know a lot of some of them i already knew from playing in cover bands and stuff like that but you know when something like that happens i'll go to work like three four tunes a day you know, start listening. And my routine in that situation, when I know I've got material to learn is I'll try and absorb two or three a day or four a day if I have to, you know, and depending on how much time I got before the first rehearsals or gig or whatever. And uh, I'll, I'll try and get two or three down. If it's, let's say I got enough time, like I got at least a month. Okay, I'll start learning like two or three tunes a day. And the, by learning, I mean, sitting down, playing through the songs, getting quite familiar with them getting getting like 85 percent of the way there like 90 percent, and then maybe i'll move on to another one 
And I'll do that with like two or three. The next morning I'll come back and revisit those because I kind of can't remember them the next day. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're like me at all. Like I'll come back and listen to them. And my method for learning is using phrase trainers, you know, loading mm -hmm. in, slowing down the solo section so I can hear them clearly and that kind of thing. Also referencing other YouTube videos that teach, you know, YouTube's amazing for learning. It sure you know. is. Yeah. <laughs> Always look for the one, the video that's got the most views with the least dislikes. And that's probably pretty accurate. You know, you, you learn pretty quickly, like who the go-to guys are on YouTube that you can check out for, you know, to, uh, to learn songs and stuff. And so I'll do that uh, and use YouTube videos, use the original recordings, use live recordings, whatever I can to try and figure out, you know, what was going on. Um, and I'm not a great reader, so I don't, really go that route that much but um occasionally you know i'll look at charts or something if they're provided um and then uh so learn the two or three tunes in a day come back the next morning review and then really try and get them like so it's like now i'm nailing because you know i always find that I need, I need to sleep on stuff when i learn something you know if if i like i said i'm trying to get it 85 90 percent of the way there and then i'll come back to it the next day and then i'm like how did that oh i don't really even remember this song that well and then you play it once you go, oh yeah okay Oh yeah, 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 and then the licks start, and then like they're getting cemented in your brain. Then at that point, after a night of sleep, and and then uh, and then I do the same thing the next. So then I'll move on to three more tunes after the review. Three more tunes that day. Next morning, review those. Add three more, and I'll do that until I've got about nine or ten songs, and then I'll spend the next day after I've got nine or ten reviewing those ones. Cool. Go over those tunes, get them in there, make sure they're cool. All the while I'm. Generally speaking, I'm programming my pedal board and getting my sounds together and stuff at the same time and getting those moves, you know, okay, I need a separate sound for the chorus for this song. and I'm going to need a delay for the, you know, a gain boost or whatever for the solo. So let's make that. And I go and I program all that stuff. And then, um, yeah, day of review. Then I'll try and take a day off maybe from it. And then I'll go back and start with another three. And so that whole process may be to learn a set of tunes, depending on if it's, you know, depends how many songs, if it's, if it's 20, 30 songs, sometimes it's 50 songs. Of the, right. You know, you never knew. So, but I'll, I'll just do that process like that, you know, learn, review, day off, learn, review, day off. Uh, it, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go on. I catch off. I was just going to say, so that's practicing. That's my disciplined practicing for learning songs for gigs. As far as uh, approaching new techniques and stuff, I'm so haphazard with like, like learning new, like, you know, I would love to take, I've got friends right now that are taking classical guitar lessons and doing different things that I would, I should really be, you know, I feel like at, at times it's like, why don't I, like I should tone in on that and like do something, you know, get finally like learn jazz or something, <laughs> you know, and I don't do a hell of a lot of that. So my latest thing is just the little Instagram riff thing where I'm like, I'm like, I want to know how to do what that guy's doing. So I'll, put, I'll make a video of it and bring it into the computer. And I, I did one of those yesterday. And so I'm trying, but I get distracted. And a lot of my life these days with the lockdown has been making videos for, um, for YouTube for, you know, many times it's products I'm reviewing. I've always got like a, Backlog. You've been very prolific with your releases. It's very cool. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, but it's like sitting a lot of time sitting here writing and, you know, and so I, my time, I guess, practicing would be, I guess I'm writing. I, I spent a lot of time writing on the guitar as opposed to writing music and then recording it and producing it as opposed to practicing new, here's this new sweep lick or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, dude, I got to tell you, it almost feels as though this was rehearsed because everything you're answering leads right into the next thing I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> cool. So for, from, you know, as a teacher, you know, I'm teaching, you know, tons of lessons a week. But for me, prior to the lockdown, 
my practicing was learning songs. I was in a, a high-end corporate band doing, uh, you know, events and things like that. So sure. constantly it's just new material, same thing, breaking it down, programming the pedal board, whatever it's going to be. Um, and then during the lockdown, that's on, that's frozen. So we've been writing music and releasing music. So my practice was learning songs and now writing songs. And that's mm. something I'm trying to implore into a lot of the students is, if that's the right word, I'm not sure, but tell them to do, um, you know, as long as the instrument's in your hands and your, and your sound is coming out of it, you're learning, you're practicing, something is happening. If I say, you know, practice Dorian mode and you don't, but you come out with a cool little lick, you practice the guitar. I'm happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it means different things to different people practicing. Everybody's right. got a different, maybe different goals on the instrument and what, you know, where they want to get with it. Um, Definitely. You know, so I find that fascinating. It's a, it's the rebel instrument. I mean, there's no right and wrong yeah. way to do it, you know? Um, so you say your, your reading is not super duper strong. Is theory a big part of what you do? Or is there more just feel based or how is your, what's your I'd approach? Say, I'd say it's more feel based at this point. I mean, I know I went to MI and I've got a yeah. you know, basic theoretical knowledge so that if I'm playing a chord or I make a chord or something, I can go, okay, what, what chord is this? And then I can go, oh, it's this interval and this interval and this interval. Okay, that makes sense. It's a six, you know, some sort of inversion of a six right. nine chord or something. And I can figure that out. Um, I still feel like I'm really slow at that stuff, though, to be honest. You know, I'm more of a rock and roll knucklehead, like, yes. like a player by feel. My favorite type. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how I grew up, you know, learning by probably a bit more like, uh, you know, uh, from the. I don't know. Like I hear about every like two guys I could think of maybe like Clapton or Billy Sheehan. You know, he's another one that says I don't really know scales, but I know where my fingers should go. Like right. I know what I know where the next note, what to play. You know, but I don't yeah. know what to call it. So you know, and sounds think, good. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever sounds good. You know, uh, you know, I find that interesting. You know, um, that style of of playing. But I, there's always more to you know. So I I get so inspired by watching some of these players like. You know, Andy Woods has been putting out some great lessons on YouTube and his technique is so ridiculous, and flawless. And it's, he's got a great overall grasp of everything from, you know, metal thread stylings to uh, country and, you know, his bluegrass playing is off the charts, you know, and plays with really great mandolin. And I find that amazing, you know. Yeah, there's all these guys out there. And I think that social media has provided such a platform for like when I was growing up, you know, if you liked Metallica, you liked Metallica. And if you wanted to learn a Steely Dan song, all your friends would say, why? Whereas now it's like people are jumping from genres and styles and, and it's all within one scope. And that's so fascinating to me and inspiring because it opens yeah. all these doors. You know, the possibilities are endless and no one's going to say no. They're going to say, how did you do that? Which is great. Yeah. I mean, you'll see like a player like Matteo Sassato, you know, fellow Sir player, mm -hmm. um, that guy's amazing. And he started out mostly playing metal, I think kind of, you know, like shred, you know, and then he got, you know, uh, heard John Mayer and, you know, and from that he became like into this, what's this whole, like, kind of like, like he goes, he, he told me, he said, I, I didn't know anything about Steve Ray Vaughn or Hendrix or it was John Mayer. Cause he's of that age. Wow. Yeah. That, that was his vehicle to that style, you know? And, uh, and he just took it to such a, great place you know the whole kind of you know he's one of those you know amazing neo soul if you want to give it a yeah um but he's he's so liquidy on the guitar and is but he can still you know bust out the crazy shred legs <laughs> you know yeah. 
uh, with you know, give them some gain and stuff. So, so it's really interesting that you know, I think, and, and I think that that that's cool because I think that uh, too much of the the shreddy thing gets uh, it just you know, it gets old or whatever. Like the you know, just distorted rock guitar. It's that's great too, but it's like it's great if you can mix it up and do different things. I mean, yeah. I think of somebody like Steve Vai. He's amazing like that. Um, you know, guitarists with, well, like I say, Andy's another good example. You know, you can rip on bluegrass, give him a D28 and, yeah. and he can wail on that or a mandolin or give him an electric guitar that's dropped in and he can play shreddy, you know, like you can get into that and totally rip on the, you know, electric guitar. So, uh, yeah, it's cool, you know. Definitely. But, yeah. People in other musical, I mean, when, when I think about some of the, you know, even what's going on in like hip hop or like different styles, it's they're totally about that. I mean, you know, think about a song like Old Town Road or whatever, yeah. you know, right? I mean, it's right. like this that's what people are doing. They don't care anymore. There's blending yeah. sounds and, you know, uh, blending styles and it's amazing. You know? That's why I think it's incredibly liberating. I always try and tell like, you know, the average age of our student here is about 20 or so years younger than me. Mm. So I, I look at them at this mirror. You know, I grew up in the town where the school is physically located. So a lot of our students, at least prior to uh, everything being online, now we're teaching people around the country. But a lot of our physical students were, you know, still attending the same school that I went to. And I'm like, guys, you don't understand. Like back then it was so one dimensional. And now genres don't matter. Nothing matters. You can just be and do anything. Pick a piece of audio here, throw it there, chop it up, throw it. It's just it's so incredibly liberating and exciting. It's an exciting time to be playing music, I think. Yeah. Having said this, I wrote an article a while ago for Premier Guitar called Is Rock Eating Itself? Um, because yeah. I do feel like at the one genre where, and it's maybe part of the, I don't want to say decline, but you've seen other genres kind of take over in the po popular, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a, a little bit more. And, it, and the article was basically based on when you had the Beatles or you had, you know, Led Zeppelin or you had, um, you know, even like, like a band like Sabbath like the the influences were pretty diverse like because it but it was at the dawn of that stuff mm -hmm. so it was like you know the beatles were drawing from vaudeville and you know on the mccartney whatever he heard at home from his parents playing and stuff and and uh, and then also lennon in the band with his hardcore elvis and you know like american rock and roll influence and and then george with indian music and it was like and they pulled it all into this thing that came out as the beatles it was amazing um sabbath similar i mean i think there was some diverse like some interesting you know, so within the context of a hard rock band, they actually had ballads and stuff that were pretty like, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. there was uh, uh, going like, what was the Sabbath song changes or whatever, which was like this beautiful mm -hmm. ballad, you know? Uh, and then, uh, or Diary of a Madman, you know, by by Ozzy, right? So you had, you know, Randy Rhodes and this, you know, obviously like classical guitar. Right. So they just embraced all that stuff and put it all, you know, and and then you know, as rock kind of goes on into the, I think what happens, especially through two thousands, you know, two thousand to maybe you know, four, three, four, five, six years ago or whatever. Even you had a lot of these bands that were like, well, who are your influences? Like, well, we're influenced by Sabbath and Guns N' Roses or something. <laughs> and it was like that was it, you know, yeah. like kind of it, it, the 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 pool of the, what people were drawing from was maybe less and less and less. Just I'm just talking about in rock in general. I saw that in a lot of rock bands, you know. Sure. To the point where you got, I don't want to rip on them too, because I think there's some great things about them. A band like Greta Van Fleet or something, it was so Zeppelin derived. Where it we can like, rip on them, it's allowed, it's okay. It's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I appreciate kids playing rock, I think that's great. I think there's yeah. a lot of positives, yeah, there's a lot more right going on than wrong. But, but the reality is, if you if you if your only influence is, is apparently like Zeppelin or maybe 
you know, and, and maybe deep purple or something or whatever, if that's it, and that's all you're drawing on, then you're going to sound like that distilled down into something that's not quite as adventurous as they were. Well said. I don't know. Yeah. You know, so like if you can pull from all these places and get, it doesn't, I've, I've learned <laughs> that people are, uh, I guess metal fans can be somewhat closed minded or somewhat, you know, if you put out a metal record and then you try and do something a little more experimental, these, uh, maybe they, we we liked it when you sounded like this, you know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare how dare you grow? <laughs> yeah. Chris Cornell faced a lot of that, you know. I, I think where it was like, you know, he had his the and he, and he was, you know, just I feel like starting to really break ground with breaking out of that whole thing. But yeah. um, but you know, he faced a lot of that where that he even you know related to me where he said, you know, a lot of people focus on this one thing I could do. It's a ha! You know, right. one yeah. thing that he could do. And he's like, that's it's not really what I'm about. Like, there's a lot of other things I'm interested in and things that I can do. And it's like, I don't want to keep doing that thing over and over again. Only that's great. I mean, I can do it sometimes, but, you know, there's other things I'm interested in. Sure. So, and it was so. great to see him, you know, in the solo work, see him go in different directions and just try different things. Um, how did you get that gig? What was like the, uh, the, uh, well, um, it was an audition um you know with the internet these days everything's gone so online and there's so much that you can do and reach the whole world by just being on youtube or being on a, you know it's amazing you can go around the world but there's some things that you still just have to be physically present in a music community right to to get you know to where you want to be maybe if you, and one of those things is like occasionally an audition will happen and they're going to pick from a pool of players that's local and so that's la you know so so being in la i got a email one night and it was middle of the night i was actually working in the studio i was working with courtney love and cool. it, was, it was yeah middle it was 12 30 when i got the the email and said if you want to and i'd heard that maybe the audition was going to happen um but it, this was very last minute so i i thought okay one of these days maybe i'll get an email and it'll be you know saying okay it's in a week and whatever it said it was like if you want to audition for Chris Cornell, you need to be at this rehearsal studio tomorrow at noon <laughs> and know these five songs. And two of them were new songs that I'd never heard before that were off an upcoming wow. solo album. So I thought I've got 11 and a half hours to learn five songs and, and go do the audition. Wow. And I'm still in the studio. I'm still working. So I think we got out at about 1 AM and I went home and just set, set to learning, you know, and got my pedal. Do the same process. I was just yeah. telling you about, but in a rush fashion in the middle of the night, and uh and learned the tunes as best i could you know got three hours of sleep woke up kept practicing uh went to the audition and is he and there for the audition he was actually he was there the first day yeah which was wow. impressive you know a lot of i've done a lot of the these ones before and you'll get a call back maybe and then maybe the artist will be there like after they've kind of weeded through some videos and stuff and they'll call back you know four or five people or something uh but no he was there right from day one and um, I played with them that day after 11, after, 11 hours awesome. after hearing about it or whatever. I played those, you know, Spoon Man and Like a Stone and Cochise and, and then two songs that were off his record. And, and, and so I got a call back for the next day, went back, did the call back. And then I got a call back again four or five days later to go back and do a third one. And, and that was the day that they hired the band. So, so uh, cool. Yeah. For it's a hell of an adventure. I, I can imagine, man. Like, are you at that point? Are you expected to learn the entire back catalog, or is it here's the songs you need for the tour that's coming up? And we never stopped learning throughout the whole. I was the the touring sort of period that I was real active in was about three years from that mm -hmm. point. 
we, we basically started from that day and then that I got hired and then the next three years was that was my thing. And uh, we never stopped learning to the point where we had about I think we had about 110 songs at one. Wow, point. that's epic. Um, yeah, like like a little while ago, our drummer posted his he had a master list with tempos all written out so that with a reference tempo. And he posted that list and it was 109 or 10 songs of all the songs we'd learned. And so that was towards the third year, you know, but we started with about, I, as my memory of it is about 38 tunes before we hit the road. So, uh, I don't know why it's so specific, but maybe because it was <laughs> 38. <laughs> That's so, so we'd learned, uh, nine, I think for the audition process over the course of that. So we learned four or five for the first audition and then did the callback. And then we did a, the, the next callback and he added three or four songs by then uh to to the, the the third callback and so we were up to about nine tunes that day and um and so we had those from the day we got hired and then we learned about another yeah uh, another 30 or something wow for for the so we had three weeks to do that so it was a really magic period actually because we'd we'd get an email each night first they hired us you know, about 5 p.m. I remember after getting out of the rehearsal studio, the manager called us, said, okay, he wants to hire you. So we worked out some details and stuff. And I just hung up the phone. And I was like, <laughs> I'm playing with Chris Cornell. Right. <laughs> and then we got an email that said like, okay, these are the three songs for tomorrow. And each night we'll send you three MP3s in your email. And so next day was like, you know, it'd be like Black Hole Sun and Say Hello to Heaven and you know, one of his solo tunes, you know, and it'd be like every day. And I'd be like, holy shit, I get to go play these three songs with this guy tomorrow. Crazy. <laughs> and I just feel every day was like, you know, like that. Next day, I was going to be Rusty Cage and, you know, Jesus Christ pose and something else. It's like, OK, let's. So we so we'd rehearse from about 11 until maybe 4 p.m. or something. Not too long, you know, 10 or 11 till 4 or 5 p.m. Go home, get three more in the email, work on a few tunes that night. So we had a fairly long, you know, four or five, I mean, get four or five hour rehearsal day with a break. And then, uh, you know, a period at night where I'd probably spend two hours learning, you know, a couple more songs, a few more songs, get up the next morning, go to and tackle it's, them. It's such an epic kind of gig because the Soundgarden material is incredibly challenging. Then the Audio Slave stuff is challenging in a very different way. And then the solo stuff is an entirely different animal. So to be able to be one human being and cover such a range is, is, is very incredible. Thanks. It was a, it was a really, really good band. Um, you know, everybody had a kind of a, a, a cool uh, role that we, you know, personalities. I mean, it really became a band, you know, um, and everybody did a great job. And it was just like a, uh, uh, you're right. It was a wide, I mean, everything from, you know, um, when I'm down to, you know, like I said, Jesus Christ pose or something. It was a wide, you know, there was piano, jazzy. Yeah. You know, all the way through to full on, you know, uh, down tuned, you know, craziness. Um, but that made it fun. And I guess we were all used to that because everybody done gigs, you know. Mm. Uh, everybody was pretty experienced touring. Guy. Well, Corey was actually quite young at that point. Corey's gone on to play with Neil Young now and uh, wow. Promise to the Real. Uh, he's a, he's a bass player, so he's a, he's a really. But he he was in a way. Corey was probably the one of the best educated musicians in the band. He had a you know music school uh, education. And he could play good guitar, and he could he had a, you know a bit of a jazz background and stuff. But he he had a pretty deep knowledge, even though he I think that was his first real big touring gig at that point. Uh, and Jason Sutter had played with 
um, a whole bunch of bands already at that point, done a bunch of tours and stuff. And Yogi had also, the other guitar player, had played with Buck Cherry and who else did he play with? He played with Anastasia, did a bunch of pop gigs. Wallflowers, I think he toured with at that. So it was a pretty experienced band, really. Yeah, I met him, geez, like early 2000s. I used to, on, back when I was touring, we would always book shows. Uh, if we were in LA, we would play the Cat Club and we always try and play there on a Thursday night so we could see the star efforts at the end of the night. And uh, he was there one of the nights. I'm like, whoa, hey. And then he just bullshitted a little bit, but it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good dude. Yeah, he's a great, great player. Um, can I ask some gear questions? Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously, signature guitar, signature amps, signature pickups. Like, what's that process like? Like, are you given, uh, say for the guitar, like are you down to the type of fret wire, wood combinations like how does because we've spoken to um a couple ibanez and dorsey's and uh someone else along the way but service yeah. so you know very fancy guitars let me grab one of my i've got my classic here that's not my actual signature model but i've got over here actually i can show you Let's see yeah i have it here this is the guitar that my signature was based on let's start with guitars um okay i was at sir one day and they had a guitar that they'd made called the mahogany deluxe and i'd seen it before in photos and i always thought it was really cool looking but it was a i don't usually go for the flame tops on strat style guitars but it it, it had that uh like a like a flame top and it was a cool kind of dark brown sort of finish and it had gold hardware and it was all less paul woods really i mean it was a mahogany back uh mahogany neck rosewood board maple top like a flame maple top and um i thought i i love this guitar i played it in a video i was out there to film a video for the riot pedal riot reloaded pedal i think so you can see that video it's on youtube if my, my demo i did at the sir factory of the riot reloaded is me playing that guitar and i kind of bonded with the guitar and i thought you know i never would think in a guitar that's a 25 and a half scale guitar you know fender sort of scale guitar mm -hmm. uh with a bolt-on neck i i would have never probably even tried a mahogany body with a mahogany neck more of the Les Paul would thing. Yeah. But I played it and I thought the guitar sounded great and felt really good. And I thought, this is cool. But even though I thought it looked pretty cool, I thought it's just not my thing. Flames, I always want to see on a Les Paul, you know? Right. Uh, and on a, on a S style guitar, I just like the, the you know, more of a, a solid finish or something. So I remembered seeing Peter Frampton and uh, who else? Um, Lou Reed and, uh, you know, a few other, oh, Mark Knopfler, you know, in the 80s with um, Pensa Sur guitars, which is where Sir, you know, uh, that's, that was where John first started, was working at uh, Rudy's, Rudy's Music in New York City on 48th, right? And um, they, you know, had a lot of success starting to make guitars. First it was out of parts, and then they started making out of their own bodies and necks and stuff. And that was how John's name kind of came came on the map in the first place was those early pensacers for folks like knopfler and i remember seeing pictures of like mark with a guitar that would look very similar to this it, it, it was a you know s style guitar but with a i think his was a had a carved top on it but it was a i believe a hum single single with the like a floyd and stuff and had binding and i just thought it was a really classy looking guitar mm -hmm. reminded me a bit of that mahogany deluxe that i played out at sir that day so i thought and it was black and so i thought what if i get a black top and i also had seen some of the uh les pauls that um that gibson was doing around the time that had like a natural back 
with a black top. If you, if you look up you know, 57 mm-hmm. historic Les Paul black, if yep. you see one, they'll, they've made a few like that where they have a black top, but, a, but a, you can see the wood on the back. And I thought that looks really cool with binding. So I thought, let's put all that into one guitar. Combine what I liked about that mahogany deluxe I played at Sur with my memory of what the Pensacers look like from the 80s. And then, you know, the, the, and I thought, let's do this red, you know, off red kind of you know, dark red thing. And it'll look like super classy and yet kind of racy. Uh, you know, not too flashy, but kind of yeah. flashy, you know? Um, so I, I specced out it. This is pre discussion of any signature model or anything. I just specced out a guitar and this is that guitar. So I got this in 2013 maybe, and I got it and I really loved it. And then about maybe six months later or something, they said, Hey, you know, we're thinking about doing some signature guitars. It was something they'd avoided for a long time. They, they had the Guthrie Govan signature and I think Andy Wood had a signature, but other than that, they didn't really, Scott Henderson, you could kind of spec out his, but it was, you know, it's really a classic with uh, like a, uh, it's an S style with his mm-hmm. specific appointments, you know, but they actively wanted to go, you know, pick a few other artists and, uh, and do signature models at this point. And I, they said, would you be interested in making that guitar, this one, kind of the basis of a signature model with us? And I was like, hell yeah, that'd be an honor. I'd be, I'd be happy to. I already had an amp with them at that point. Okay. And I'd already done the pickups. So these are thornbuckers in this guitar so I, I developed those and stuff and so it seemed like a natural progression so we, we made this into the signature model the only real difference is you can see on this one which is one that we came out with in a different color a couple of years ago it's got it's got pickup rings right so my prototype didn't have rings on it and i well that rings was something they just didn't do on sirs and i was like it kind of would be cool if we did rings and they were sort of like well we don't really do that and i'm like that's a perfect reason to do it because it'll right. set, it, set it apart from all your other guitars in your Smart. line so we did we did rings and so if you get a black one it's got the rings on it you know uh and it's available in four colors and what else can i say about it every single detail pretty much is something that we discussed you know for, the pickups were really born out of trying to make a perfectly balanced humbucker set that uh was was versatile and where you didn't feel like when you hit the neck pickup you need to go back on your amp and turn up the treble and when you hit the bridge pickup it's like ice picky or something i wanted them to balance and i also was loving the kind of big overgrown telecaster sound that i heard from folks like jimmy page and stuff that they could get out of a les paul i was like what's going on with that like how do you how do you get that out of a humbucker and so that's what the pickups were you know it's, it's a combination of things like low wine what magnets you use uh, mismatch coils and things like that to, to cool. get all that stuff. So, so we wound and wound and wound until we found a set that d- achieved that to where it was like between the, you can hear it in my demo. I did a demo. Uh, if you look up Sir Thornbucker, you know, on YouTube, you'll find my original video for it where I go through all the pickup positions in the context of a kind of a, uh, a rock tune and you can hear the balance between all the positions. And so that's what we we're trying to achieve. Um, what else? I think basically it's really, I, I inhabit a kind of a, uh, you know, an interesting world, like I think in, in the sense that my signature guitar, I, I feel like has to cover a lot of ground. It's got to cover a lot of bases because I'm not somebody like John Petrucci or Steve Vai or something where there's guitars do too, but they've got a specific kind of a wild look, you know, and right. Petrucci's guitars or Steve's guitars because they are primarily artists. 
they can do whatever they want. You know, they're going to go out there and, and Steve can put a, you know, monkey grip in his guitar and have the, all the, you know, crazy colors and stuff like that. I feel like with my guitar, because of my job, because I need to fit in at one minute with a certain type of artist the next minute, maybe with a different one, my guitar it sort of reflects more like what you do. Like maybe somebody like, like there's a lot of similarity between what you do and what I do. If you were in a corporate band mm -hmm. playing like, you know, lots of different types of gigs, like, what would be an appropriate guitar to play a wide style of music on right. uh, and have a cool kind of classic look, but maybe you don't want to like have the, you know, crazy, you know, cause you're not like, you know what I mean? Like totally, totally. And, you don't, that it can't be the show. It has to be part of the show. Yeah. 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 Cause I might get a gig with an artist like, and I'll show up and they'll be like, I'm not going to play that guitar. Are you? You, know, or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's got a kind of, uh, I don't want to say you got it. You need to compromise, but I, I needed to come up with something that looked classic and also had, what I wanted so it's like it's a, it's a fine line sometimes so the guitar that I made and came up with really I, I feel like reflects that like it's it's not going to freak anyone out and it also has a really cool like sleek classy you know look uh and you can of course function functionality wise you can get a ton of sounds out of it it's got a bunch of split coil positions series parallel for the bridge pickup so I if I if I gotta fly somewhere and take one guitar and cover a bunch of tones I can do it with this one guitar so it's just a great working, you know, guitar player's tool. That was that was the goal, really. That's awesome. You know, it's it's funny and and thinking of that question in my mind because I asked that question to Yvette Young. I asked that question to Andy Timmons. All you know, it's a different tool, and for what you're doing, that makes perfect sense. I would have never thought of it that way. That it's just to do what it has to do without it being this big, flashy thing. And they're gorgeous. They're so classy and and just perfect the way they are. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's been a great uh, a great thing for me. Um, you know, the signature guitar. It's been a really like I'm really glad we did it, and I can't wait to kind of see where we go from here because now I've got some more ideas and stuff. But I love doing it. And with the amp, uh, you know, I've got the PT15 and PT100, and they're similar in that way. Where with the with the hundred came out a number of years ago. It's a hundred watt three channel beast. It's awesome. Super cool. It also is quite heavy and it's it's big, you know, and maybe that's not like the trend's been towards smaller stuff these days and stuff. So that's why we came out with the 15, you know, it's 24 pounds and it's got these great direct out features and stuff where you can plug it right into a recording console and no cabinet needed. But it's an all tube, you know, killer amp with, you know, plenty of volume and stuff. If 15 watts is almost uh, it's it's uh, deceptive how much headroom it has and stuff like that. So I feel like we made a great tool for moving forward you know the guitar player trying to come up with something that you know because i love tube amps you know I, I still love you if it's possible i don't know if i can like get the computer around enough here to see but i, I my whole like thing there is four yeah. and then i got like five more right here that you can't see beside i love tubing. <laughs> so it's like we tried to make a tool for you know the modern guitar player that uh you know that you know loves tubes and loves the concept of a traditional amp but also moving forward a little bit and that's the load box and the impulse responses in it and all that good stuff so that it's got the combination of vintage but future you know yeah i was playing through your amps at the uh the sir nam booth because you know it's, it's around here i couldn't find any stores that had them and i was blown away by the tone and like as we were saying before we jumped on live um you know with modeling stuff i've had a helix um, I have the Axe Effects now for my home studio. I just got a Kemper. So I'm always trying to find that thing that's going to be plug it in and play because I get lost in the modelers sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. to have an amp that's a real tube amp that has the 
impulse response is right there. That's just the best of both worlds, really. That's my idea, you know. With yeah, it's it, working. <laughs> yeah, it's got 16 IRs in there that you can pick from. You can load your own if you want, but you don't ever have to. I mean, you'll probably, when you get it, you'll be like, it sounds good. Like, I don't need to, you know, it's a plug and play, you know. And it's got three great channels, really easy. Just you want more gain, you reach out and turn the knob. You know, yeah. I, I went and did a bunch of clinics with it, and that's what I, hey, you want more treble? <laughs> you don't have to page through the menu. These new devices are fantastic. I mean, I think there's a place for everything. With Axe Effects and the Helix and Kemper and all these units, it's great. How can we make something that's, because now you've just got choice, you know? How can we make something that's for tube amp people that has some of those features and right. is really versatile and stuff, but maybe for someone that still appreciates the, even young players, I mean, I see a lot of a lot of young players. It's just, you know, I'd say probably the majority is players with a pedal board that's fairly complex plugging into a simple one-channel amp. Right. You know, like a lot of kids these days, like what what pedal do you use for drive? Right. It's like right. that never used to be the. It was like, well, I've got a Marshall. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the drive came from the amp, and then you maybe augmented it with a fuzz or a tube streamer or something. Right. But unless you were a Fender amp player, but a lot of you know gain amps were you know for many 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 years it was all about amps getting you know from the seventies through the eighties into the nineties. You know, it was and to the two thousands. It was we went from you know a high watt Marshall to to you know more gained out stuff and soldanos and stuff and then yeah. you know the dual rectifiers and the 5150s and all it was all about you know amplifiers were how you got your gain and then all of a sudden we got to this a little more grab and go combo and pedal boards and so and there's no right or wrong way i mean it's like there's whatever you prefer you know i mean when i when i was you know touring more regularly i was a mesa guy hands down dual rectifier um i have a triple crown here which i love but yeah. uh, the, the last very big gig we did with the band before things went crazy, we were playing up in Vermont and uh, they had a backline that Fender Deluxe. And I was like, OK, I'm going to build a crazy pedal board and I'm going to get all the sounds I need with different pedals, which is a really fun project, hmm. costly project, but a fun project. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was so surreal for me because prior to that, I was it was always an amp guy, you know, mm. uh, a, a, you know, half stack or two by twelve. Um, and then I, like I said before, I went around a little bit with the Helix, but this was like the perfect combination of things where I could have all my different sounds that I could still twist the knobs and have a, you know, a kick-ass amp behind me that I could make louder with the knob as well. Yeah, exactly. And that, I think that's the, been the, the kind of the, you know, you see deluxes everywhere or, you know, similar, you know, like, yeah, like one back there. <laughs> yeah, they're great to have around. I've got a little Princeton sitting in here um, and I got it for that reason because, you know, I do a lot of these pedal videos and things and, and folks I've got my signature amp and everything, but a lot of times people are like, well, we don't want to hear the pedal through your, you know, amp that, or, you know what I mean? Like through, mm -hmm. we want to hear it through like a working man's. Right. Amp Something the, that's not colored and just, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, or even just like inexpensive. Yeah. Something that's, you know, play, can you play it through something that's $500? Like the, the, the real, you know, because folks don't always, you know, have money for like expensive heads and things like that. That's not where their focus is. So they're like, I've got this combo. I want to hear it through that so that I right. can, in my world, I know what it sounds like. And I think that that's a total fair uh, point. And so I've got a little Princeton here, a little, one of those little silver, silver face 68 custom uh, just because, and I've done nothing to it. It's just a stock speaker, and I just put it on four and run the pedals into it. And it sounds really cool. It's like a different sound, you know. It's that kind of more MIDI combo, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And with some, it's 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 neat. It's a nice addition to the, you know, the amps in here. 
See, I feel like that's the thing that, um, you know, again, being a school here, we have um, a case in the lobby where the students wait and I have hundreds of pedals and uh, we let them take them out like a library. Oh, great. <laughs> you know, we want nice. to borrow something. And I feel like part of me is giving them an opportunity to try something and hopefully buy it somewhere on the line. But at the same time, it's almost like I'm uh, addicting them to a drug. <laughs> <because> <laughs> Because the yeah. year, you know, it, it never ends and, and with reverb and, and there's just access to right. so much, you know, I play this crazy game with myself. My girlfriend hates it. She's a singer. We do music together. So it's like she benefits from my illness. But I'll say, well, I'm looking for this piece of equipment. If I can find it under X amount of dollars, I have to buy it. And it's a game that I play with myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it'll be like two o'clock in the morning. I'll, I'll go into the bathroom or something. I just grab my phone. I'm like, oh, I had to. I had to. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's there's a great um, there's some videos about this online as well you can find. But I because uh, obviously I do a lot of you know I'm, people are like you know my significant other, my wife or whatever hates you because I'm always buying pedals because your videos and stuff. I hear that a lot. Oh yes, you are definitely one of my fixers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's like it's like. Uh, a, a, a problem, I think. I'm probably going to get like accosted one of these days. Now, my husband spent, you know, <laughs> because of, you know you and your dumb videos. But um, I I do having made all these videos and stuff. I appreciate this Tom Morello thing. So he put out a, a, a video on this, and also I think I read it in an interview, maybe in Guitar Player. But he was talking about how he sort of used to be on that train a little bit, like maybe very early on, maybe in the you know late '80s or something, where he was trying this and trying that gear and. The, and then he, at one point, just realized, like, this is never ending. And he didn't want to be on that train. So he had his pedal board, which had, you know, the Digitech, whatever he's got on there, like a flanger and like a, you know, yeah. certain wah. And then he had his JCM 800 head, which is kind of like not even the desirable one. It's the two-channel one from the 80s with the clean channel. And the, and he had a PV412 cabinet and his one guitar. And he said, I... I, I kind of set everything up and I turn all the knobs on everything until it sounded as good as I could make it sound like for every single effect in the amp. And, and he's like, it, he's like, it wasn't even like a great sound. He didn't think it was just like a serviceable, like a good tone or whatever. He's like, all right, that's my sound. I'm done. <laughs> and then he proceeded to write all the rage material and audio slave and everything with that rig. <laughs> and he never, he added like a couple things to it. And that was it. I think he's got a phase 90 and it's like the most basic, like, and he gets a lot of sounds when a he's a guy known for crazy sounds, but he did it a lot with just maximizing that gear and, uh, you know, using Allen wrenches and things on the yeah. strings and his, genius. You know, stutter stuff that he does with the pickup switch. And uh, yeah. And, and he, and he just made the most out of what he had and then used it. Um, and, and I remember him talking also about how he had to play with another rig at some point in South America or something. I don't want to script the story, but I think it, it as the story goes, he didn't get a very good sound. He didn't really like it. But then he realized it's not really the fault of the gear. It's just that he didn't have the time with it. Like, he, if he's like, if that had been my rig, I would have been able to work with it. And the music would have been slightly different. I just would have done the same thing, like the same process with that gear, maximize it to the point where, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's incredibly true. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we, you know, you get to a gig and it has like a crate amp or something in the back line. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, God. But right. if you had the time to make it work, it's it's really in here where the sound is, you know, and it, it's yeah. 
yeah. I'm guilty of it myself. I'll, you know, like you said at the beginning of the conversation, you could tell the guitar player in the room because she's the one standing in the back looking down at your pedal board. But it could yeah. be three boss pedals and you can get the same effect as, you know, Strymon and all these other incredible companies. But it's nice to have the options, too. So it's really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a, you know, like, I mean, you could go down that rabbit hole or you can choose to not to and just use what you've got. Some of the best tones and, you know, I, I clearly remember I, I played with Don Henley for a while. And the first time I went in an audition for that gig was 2000. I was I was rather you know I was pretty young I think I was 27 years old or something and uh, I remember being scared you know like super scared because it was like I I didn't know like if I was gonna get laughed out of the room or what because that guy was a, he was in the Eagles right. like, legend you know I didn't know what was gonna happen but I worked really hard on the songs and I was able to bring in a bunch of musicians with me to play he was hiring a whole band for that tour and I, uh, his MD was a friend of mine the other guitar player. And he uh, he was the one that called me and said, you want to audition and you can bring in a band if you want to, if he wants to hear about right. younger musicians. So I, I put together drums and keys and bass and myself, and then we all went in and played as a band with Frank, as you know, the, he was the MD. Uh, and so I remember Will Hollis, uh, the keyboard player, had this rack. It was like a six space with a whatever he had in there for keyboard, you know, sampler and keyboard sounds and stuff. Well, the day that we went in to audition, was in a big soundstage studio in uh, Culver City. It's like at the Sony Studios or something in Culver City. Like not even like a. It wasn't even like a typical music rehearsal. It was like a like a soundstage for movies. Wow. <laughs> and and I was just like, whoa, like this is heavy, you know. And <laughs> no pressure. I, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all. So such pressure, you know. And uh, we went into set up, and the day before, a group had been in there to audition as well. And I remember it was uh, Rigby Smith. And I think Matt Bissonnette on bass and Brett Tuggle on keys, you know, these super heavy players that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd remember seeing Greg and Greg play with David Lee Roth and Brett as well in like, you know, 1985 or whatever. Uh, and here I am 15 years later and I'm now I'm going to go in and I'm going to audition the next day after those guys <laughs> and play big pro gigs when I was, you know, a kid. I was nervous, you know, but and I remember seeing all the gear like Brett had full racks of keyboard you know just refrigerator racks of keyboard stuff with multi-tiers of keyboards and here's will coming in with his one controller and his six space rack you know and i had my you know whatever my my marshall dsl 50 you know with the clean channel i primarily used with pedals or whatever my little rack that i had with pedals and a pedal board or whatever it didn't matter we came in and we played and we did really well and we got a call back come back the next week and I almost got the gig that time. I was the runner up. Peter Stroud ended up getting it, who was an amazing guitar player, plays with Cheryl Crow and, right. you know, and Don for a number of years. And that was the right call. We're friends and everything now. You know, I was like, well, he hired the right guy. He was older than me and a little more experienced. But I was the runner up for the gig at that point. And Will, the keyboard player that went in, he actually got the gig. And then he ended up becoming the Eagles MD. Wow. And so he's, yeah, so he's been doing it ever since. So from that day that I always say, you owe me sushi. Cause I got on the audition. <laughs> he's, he's been with him and, and, and then the Eagles ever since, since 2000, 20 years now. But anyway, real point of the story is he, he went in with his little keyboard rack that was like, you know, and, and playing and, and he had the parts so nailed and covered with whatever his little rig was in there that the gear didn't, you know, sometimes maximizing what you've got, you know, if you really get deep into it, 
it's amazing what you can get out of it, I guess, is my whole point of it. And sure. Sounds were enough to get him the gig, you know, where the sounds weren't an issue. And, and this is the thing. Now here we are all these years later with Axe Effects and the Helix and how deep it gets and stuff. And we can be like, oh, is the Univibe in the Helix as good as a real one or or whatever, you know, the, the things, the minutiae we get into. But if you really learn to use what you've got, it's incredible what you can get out of this stuff these days. Yep. Um, and if you, you know, you figure out how to do things. I think I was showing you that I've got a, I've got a sound up. I don't know if you can hear it right now or not. Why is it not working? Something happened. Rip muted. Oh, because the guitar's not plugged in. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The oldest problem in the guitar player's book. Right? <laughs> so I don't know if you can hear the sound. Yeah. Okay. So this is something that I just learned how to do on the Helix, where I've got a, I've got a sound up that's like just a kind of a clean compressed. And then on an A-B switch. Wow. So, so I just learned how to do that on the Helix, like within the same patch, A-B-2 sound, and then also have a looper so that I can easily get like a loop recorded with the clean sound and then switch over to the dirty thing and play on top of it. And this is the type of stuff that I, I, I've had Helix for years, but I've never had that exact thing and i went in and put a little bit of time in you know i put a vibe and uh two different reverbs one for the clean sound and one for the dirty and it was like oh i can get these two great sounds within this one patch create a loop and then jam on top of it with the the distorted lead guitar sound it's cool it's yeah like little things like that where it's like okay i just had to spend a little bit of time like you know i'd never i was always like i wonder if i can do that and then all i did was put in a little bit of time and i figured out how to do it it's not like yeah, people are using this stuff these days, like the Helix, and you know it's got two paths: one where you can plug in a microphone, and one where you can plug in a guitar. I mean, you see people doing things with loopers, and then different effects on the vocal mic and stuff because there's two full chains going through it. This is crazy stuff that, yeah. like, you know. So we almost have no excuse, you know. It's like you can get one of these things, and then you can get so deep into it these days that you can almost do anything you can imagine. And if you can't, there's probably somebody that's figured out how to do it, and you can go online and find a way to. So it, I guess long-winded moral of the story is just like maximize what you've got maybe before selling it and buying something else and some endless search for the greatest sound. <laughs> well, honestly, they, again, like freaking clockwork, you just answered what would have been my last question. Do the, <laughs> do, do the work. You can't buy this. You got to, you know, what if you want to get better at an instrument, you got to do the work. You want to make your tone better, learn your gear, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the most valuable lesson. That's like we have that on a sign inside the school do the work because it's what it is yeah there's no substitute for time and practice and effort and searching you know like when i think about people like specifically about tone um experimentation folks like brian may and eddie van halen uh and you know modern players like you know uh matt from muse or or even yeah. jack white or something these people they do a lot of experimentation to get the sounds the different you know unique tones and things that they get and they find their own unique signature things that kind of set them apart um brian may with a ac30 and his weird homemade guitar asking rory gallagher a, a question at a gig uh, post show once like how do you get that sound he's like oh brian it's this little box you know the the range master treble booster and i put it in front of my amp and it 
drives the amp and makes it sound like that. And Brian's like, and he goes out and gets a AC30 and a Range Master, but with his guitar, it sounds different than Rory. Right. You know? And then there's this whole, th and then he's, what if I did, you know, delays and stereo and do these crazy things that he does, you know? And he made the signature thing that's so unmistakably him from the first note. Um, you know, this is the things that, you know, Van Halen too, uh, with the way that he, went about getting a sound you know guitars of the day didn't do what he wanted so he hacks it and puts a humbucker in a strat and the trem didn't stay in tune so he made the nut really wide slots with a brass nut and pre-locking tremolo and everything and blocked it and made it stay in tune pretty good on a strat style guitar with a humbucker and, and ended up coming up with all that crazy stuff you know just experimentation um you know pretty cool it's incredible i i fall down that hole all the time like i you know watching videos of the history of this because it's like it's all taken for granted now like it it's so often you know feels like well everything that could be done has been done but that's so far from true because just take mm. a bunch of pedals and put them in an order that they're not supposed to go and all of a sudden something new is happening well yeah. you had a vet on your show that's how we met yeah and she's like a great example of like wow like you know you, get, you know take somebody with a classical and piano and violin background right and then just take them away from music for a few years and then go and give them a guitar and then completely reinvent the way that it's played yeah just experiment right yep because she's really into sounds and stuff too so it's, it's also it's her playing or tuning you know but that musical mind you know and then the way that it comes out with what you know she's chosen mm -hmm. the guitar is the chosen vehicle i mean you could probably hand her a ukulele and whatever would come out would be also really interesting you know the way we should try and make that happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> right i mean just any anything i mean it's i find these musicians that are kind of amazing that can do stuff like that um they can kind of pick up anything and make you know my friend jason freeze is kind of like that because his family he's you know brother J josh freeze and their father is an incredible musician as well and he, he I, my, I've toured a little bit with Jason. His main gig is Green Day, but we did a tour with Jewel together. And he always blew me away because he could sit down behind the drums and he sounds like he, you know, he's not really a drummer, but he like sounds like he's playing drums. He's like pretty good. And he could play, you know, trombone and you could pick up a saxophone and make it work. And he can play just pretty much anything. And kind of it's like, you know, it's just making music, experimenting, you know? Yeah, just do it. That's what it is. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, I, this has been so great. Thank you so much for the stories and the time and everything. Um, like I said, this is our first time streaming this way. So oh. I, I don't think, I don't know that it'll be okay, but thank you so much for your time. This has been so cool. And I, we will, this will be out for others to watch it. We'll share it and everything, but stay safe out there, man. You're a, Thanks, man. Yeah, everything's, you know, just coming to this room every day and, uh, you know, it's Groundhog Day every day. I'm in here, but I'm having fun. Get the Me too. Around. Me too. Same Guitars. exact thing. I sit here and just more guitars seem to appear. Uh, PRS <laughs> just did a, I've been affiliated with them since 2008. They just did a really cool artist interview with me uh, last mm. Friday. So that's been getting a lot of attention and that's really cool, but great. Yeah. We're just living awesome. the life, living the life. And I look forward to more videos and uh, turning me on to other things to buy. <laughs> Thank you, man. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, love to do it again sometime. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Be well. You bet. Thanks. Yeah.